welcome to People Data Insights. My name's Paul Ryman, and I'm joined today by Brian Briscoe. Brian, say hello. Hello. Always a man of few words when it's time to say hello. Hello, Paul. There, oh, much better. Uh, that was a 100% improvement in the number of words. Um, so today's episode, we are talking about Hype Check 2022. Um, so this is all about checking in on some buzzy topics, things that are a lot of hype, and see what we see as sort of true and ready to make an impact in the world of, of people and, and HR, and what we see as, as marketing hype. Um, I specifically say hype check 2022, since these things roll in cycles and you know we'll hold ourselves accountable in, in due time and see if uh, our predictions and our feelings are just dead wrong or not. Um, so for Hype Check 2022, we're going to focus on three um, hyped issues today. Um, that's artificial intelligence, working in the metaverse, and uh, the blockchain for HR. So three things that are certainly dominating their fair share of mentions uh, in, in the world of innovation. And let's see kind of what we feel about them. For each one, we'll make sure we are clear on what it is uh, we'll rate its level of hype, and then we'll talk about some things that we see. I also posted a LinkedIn poll not long ago uh, to a very biased sample, which is my network, um, just to see what they thought was the most hyped, and uh, we'll pull those pull those results in as well. So that's that's our goal for today. Again, our our objective is that you take one thing away from this. Maybe you take one for each of these three uh, themes, but hopefully there's a key takeaway from each of these areas for all of those who are listening. So let's jump in, Brian. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is artificial intelligence. Um, so I, I know that you, you've you done a lot of work, actually, in the machine learning space. You have a unique understanding of this. So if you don't mind, why don't you kick off and share a little bit about what you, how would you define or, um, you know, what's your initial thoughts about AI for HR? Yeah. So artificial intelligence, I think of as kind of that that sort of big circle of how do we automate things like decision making and um, you know, how do we use algorithms to, to drive um, you know, results and behaviors in ways that are maybe not intuitive as like simple math. But I would say uh, one of the interesting things about most artificial intelligence uh, applications out there is at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a lot of math happening over and over again to, to come to some kind of predicted outcome that says do that. Whether you're talking about, uh, you know, self-driving cars, um, you know, they're, what they're really doing is looking at the probability of things like, do I need to stop? Because what's the, what's the chances that that object on the side of the road is a deer? Or what are the chances that the thing um, ahead of me that my camera detects is like an, an object that I can't drive through or over or around? Um, you know, it's, it's calculating a lot of probabilities and, and a lot of sort of iterative statistics uh, where it's popular now as artificial intelligence is it happens very fast. Things that used to take years to do with computers can be done, um, you know, either in the cloud or locally, you know, much faster because we have more processing power in our cell phones today than what computers had 20 years ago. So it's the fact that we're able to do a lot of math fast to help drive those decisions is kind of that total artificial intelligence thing. I think machine learning is kind of a subset of that, which is 
you know, how do we get computers to, to sort of train those algorithms, if you will. So like the, the AI part is kind of the application after it's trained the machine learning is how do we train it? And there's, um, lots of like machine learning is definitely a part of artificial intelligence, but there's a lot of debate in, um, the legal and ethical space around how do we train these things and these processes and how transparent do they need to be and that sort of thing. So I think that's, that's kind of the artificial intelligence topic to me in a nutshell, particularly for HR people. Yeah, that's a that's a good summary. I um, using artificial intelligence to define itself. Ironically, if you just you know search right, Google in itself is an algorithm. There's artificial intelligence broadly defined, kind of behind that. Um, if you Google what is what is artificial intelligence, uh, one of the definitions that comes up, I think, is right online with what you said, which is basically computers doing things that humans have done, like, you know, pattern recognition, decision making, perception, certain tasks. Um, but it's really just a lot of math <laughs> that help computers, you know, see things that are in the data and process that information quickly that due to, you know, advances in processing speed and availability of data are just more readily available than they've ever been before. So the um, Brian, I know it's been out there, right? It's not like artificial intelligence is new and there's been plenty of talk about it for years. Um, it seems like there's lots of talk about it. I know you have a, a particularly interesting way of describing how people talk about AI and HR. You want to share that with our listeners? Yeah, so there's a quote that I found years ago and it's been attributed to so many people. Like I certainly can't take uh, credit for this, but I think the quote originally started maybe around a reference around big data, but I think it, it's equally applicable to artificial intelligence. And it goes, uh, you know, artificial intelligence is like teenage sex. Everybody talks about it. Nobody really knows how to do it. Everyone thinks everyone else is doing it. So everyone claims they're doing it too. Uh, so if you think back to, to high school days, uh, artificial intelligence in the business world, I think is still in that, in that phase where, Everybody, you know, it's, it's in a HBR, uh, Harvard Business Review for those that are uh, just landed on Earth, uh, just teasing. But for, for everybody that's, uh, you know, reading articles and doing that, artificial intelligence is everywhere around this. And it is in the algorithms that we're searching. But, um, but everybody also thinks that people are using it to, you know, solve all kinds of problems that maybe we're, maybe we're still struggling with kind of the old-fashioned way, if you will. Yeah. So th this is one, you know, we, let's rate it on the hype scale, right? You know, zero being, you know, there is no hype here. This is actually all, all stake, no sizzle. Uh, 10 being nothing ever materializes from it and it's purely hype. I, I, I feel like this is a low number on the scale um, from the standpoint that it's become more normalized. So there's still lots of marketing Lots of people out there talking about how we're using artificial intelligence. So there's definitely some there, um, you know. But my personal perspective is that there's some reality here. So I might, I might stick it somewhere, you know, a three or a four from the standpoint that there may be some overhyping still happening. But it's it's come down a bit where uh, you know there is there is absolutely application uh, here. I guess would you agree or disagree? Something in the three or four range on the hype scale. I think I would. Well. I think it depends on who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to a salesperson from a uh, from a software provider that's like selling artificial intelligence, I put it at like a nine. If I think about the real reality <laughs> of where we're at, 
Um, I think we, I think it's in terms of like its long term value. Yeah, I'd put it at a, I would say probably a four from what we think it is today. You know, I think we, we sometimes, um, I equated it once when somebody asked the question to, you know, we think it's going to be like, uh, you know, Rosie, the robot who, um, cleans and it's, it's a lot more like the Roomba that you see, you know, it's not Rosie from the Jetsons that takes care of the kids and, and sweeps the floor and bakes the cookies. It's probably much more of like the Roomba that runs around and maybe knocks the lamp off occasionally, or, um, you know, can't go down the stairs without some help or, or those types of things. I think, uh, there's some hype there, but, uh, but you know, we figure out how to use it. Uh, and it, we probably adopt it without even realizing that we're adopting it, uh, more than what we advertise it. Yeah, totally. I, you know, we know, we know it works. It works, you know, it being a broad statement there, but you know, when I go on Amazon, it's pretty darn good at understanding what I actually want to buy. When I search on Disney plus, it knows what I'm after. <laughs> um, you know, those in themselves are applications of machine learning, uh, and artificial intelligence. So there's definitely some substance, um, to the concept, but I, I would agree no offense to our, our, um, you know, HR tech salespeople out there, but just throwing the words we use AI, um, in itself is just overhyping probably, um, unless you, you're prepared to back that up with, well, how are you using what data, you know, to train towards what outcomes? But that's, uh, I would agree that, that there's, there's definitely still buzz, still some hype out there that, that needs to, to die down and, and become a little bit more real. Yeah, I've heard a lot of sales pitches that say artificial intelligence could like in turnover at your company because you'll be able to predict who's going to quit and stop them from doing it. Uh, that seems a little bit like a stretch. On the other hand, I think thing, there's things like chatbots and things like that that can help alleviate the need for people to be involved in every uh, interaction with either like a customer or a candidate or a you know, those types of things. I think there's a lot of good stuff out there that's just uh, baby steps more so than um, the panacea sort of cure-all type things. Yeah, yeah. I, attrition prediction, turnover prediction is obviously one of the the use cases that people throw out a lot around machine learning, around, you know, big data in HR. And, you know, back in, I won't use a specific year because I'll get it wrong probably, but last decade for sure, um, when I was still in consulting, I, I was doing work with big data before big data was the term people used and um, partnering with a company who happened to be founded by the guy who created the FICO credit risk score. Um, and he described it and, and he's like, look, I can never say if you're going to not pay your credit card <laughs> or you're not going to be able to pay back your bill. All I can say is how likely someone like you might not do it, right? And all those qualifying statements about, well, someone like you might do this. Um, he said, that's how attrition prediction is going to work too. Like it, it, you can get a sense of how high risk is, but it's never going to be able to say this person will quit. Um, and really it's best when it's more uh, at the segment level. Here's a, a location that has all of the right predictors of having elevated attrition, not Paul Ryman is likely to, you know, attrit. Um, so it's, it's getting those expectations aligned with how the math really works, how the data is really, you know, useful and not expecting it to do more than it can. But it, there's certainly value in knowing, hey, that restaurant, that hotel, that retail store, 
that plant, you know, it shows the indicators of a problem. Like there's still value there, even if I can't say that Sally is going to quit tomorrow. Right. Right. And I think that's where that, that expectations piece has to come in on that. So that's, that's a great point. So I think, yeah, very low on the hype scale, but very, um, you know, often misunderstood. Totally. So there, there was one, uh, if I think about the LinkedIn poll that I posted on this, right, where for those who know how LinkedIn polls work, you can only pick one um, option. And it was, you know, what's the most hyped of the three topics we're talking about today? And, and there was just one person who said that artificial intelligence would be the thing that was, that was the most hype and had the least impact. I won't name them, but if they're listening, sorry, I think you're wrong. <laughs> like this is one that there absolutely will be impact and it'd be a, just a shocker of all shockers if uh, if a data, you know, a data-based thing like machine learning or artificial intelligence somehow didn't produce kind of meaningful impact within the HR space. Uh, you know, we've talked about a few already, <clears throat> you know, but certainly as more people data becomes available, the the use cases that we're not even thinking about yet certainly will be there. Um, and, you know, math is math and math finds things that are, you know, uh, arguably less biased and can be, you know, done more efficiently than in having humans pour through the same sets of data. So I just can't imagine that this is one that doesn't make an impact. So to the, uh, to, to you who said that this was uh, the one least likely to make an impact, I'm sorry, but I, I think you're probably wrong. Well, there's always got to be one, but you know, one of the other signs that this is making an impact though. Um, so I can say this as somebody that was a, a political science major in college because, uh, because political science was the only major that accepted Java as a foreign language at my school. But, um, uh, as somebody that studied how government works, you know, there's a lot of laws coming out now around artificial intelligence. I think, you know, you have different cities like New York City and Washington, D.C. that are looking at passing rules around how algorithms pa- uh, impact people's lives and how artificial intelligence is used. Um, we haven't seen as many of those things come out around some of the other items that you uh, put in your survey. Um, I would say, you know, laws always trail 10 or 20 years behind when the things, when the technology actually starts to evolve. And they really only come when there starts to be an impact. Um there's certainly been a number of use cases for artificial intelligence where it's been misused, you know, whether it's, um, you know, uh, there's been some very public cases about, uh, you know, AI being used for sentencing guidelines for criminals based on their risk of, you know, uh, re, uh, you know, committing more crimes or general risk to society or, or the, uh, the sort of depth of their crimes or which crimes lead to another. Um, there's been things where like those models have been trained in ways that, that, kind of had some implicit bias in them and those types of things. So um, certainly there's evidence that it's having an impact and, and it's not always, it's not all good. It's not all bad, um, but it's definitely showing up there. I think that's one thing as an HR professional is thinking about where AI can go wrong or where if we rely too much on an algorithm and then, you know, a law passes that says you can't rely on on an algorithm or that there has to be some kind of human decision-making. Those are things we have to pay attention to, too. Yeah, well, definitely uh, good robot, bad robot uh, is uh, certainly a title waiting to happen for a future episode around yeah. the kind of valuable impact versus the, you know, watch outs um, 
where where machine learning and and art, you know, we want real intelligence, not artificial intelligence, right? Where the artificial intelligence can indeed lead to unintended and artificial outcomes. So, for sure, there's plenty more to talk about there, uh, and we'll dedicate a, a whole episode to that, probably even multiple at some point in the future. Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to our our second hyped topic, which is the metaverse, which in itself is maybe a, a newer term, um, you know, popularized, of course, as companies rebrand themselves and use part of that in their brand description even. But, but defining what it is might even be the hardest part, maybe, of this is, you know, what are we even talking about? Um, you know, Tech Target it defines it as just a virtual world in which people live, shop, work, and interact. Uh, pretty broad, but you know, obviously the, the theme there, the key thing is the virtual world. And you know, to me, it it immediately evokes um, an image of a book. Actually, you recommended to me some time ago, uh, Ready Player One, um, where you know there's complete existence that you know you're just sitting in a chair, sitting in a suit, and you've got a whole life happening that's not real um but i think that's i i believe that's the intent is that there's sort of this parallel world in which people live and work would you would you define it any differently have you uh, heard a different or a, a better description of what the metaverse is intended to be yeah no i think the the ready player one book which uh if, if people haven't read it it's a fiction book it's kind of a dystopian future, but I, I feel like in Silicon Valley for a number of years, it was required reading, um, almost like, you know, almost like a textbook of what, of what could be. And I think a lot of people are trying to aspire to that. Uh, there was a movie that was made out of it. That was, um, I would say less inspiring than the, than the book was, but maybe not, uh, but it wasn't terrible, right? Like the movie was, uh, the movie was okay, but it kind of, presented this world where yeah people have their their headsets on and and the uh the wealthier people have their fully you know integrated haptic suits and their their chairs and their uh you know gyrospheres that they can you know walk and run and and live life and and get all kind of feedback from the computer on um think it's a little bit you know it it almost dives a little bit into the matrix kind of thing where you you live in a fantasy world um that's created by the computer for you, but where people could control more of it and people knew they were in it and, and would kind of step out. I think that's the, that's the vision that, um, you know, certainly a couple large tech companies have, uh, and, and one in particular, you know, if we think about the metaverse and meta has, has bet a lot of money recently on. Uh, and I think a lot of that's probably driven by the pandemic too. You know, there was, there was certainly a social bet, that said that if people are trying to, you know, not catch uh, COVID or do those things, that they will spend more time in isolation and how could they interact with each other? So I think it, while it's hard to define, that's the kind of the gist of what it is, is this, uh, this alternate reality that we could all live in. Yeah. I'll, I'll jump out of sequence slightly and then talk about the LinkedIn poll related to this. This was the one that the most respondents thought was the most hyped and would have the least impact. So about two-thirds of folks identified uh, working in the metaverse or the metaverse as being the hyped issue, including myself. This is one where I uh, see it as a lot of hype. So I'll, I'll throw out a number on the hype scale of I'll, I'll make it an eight, um, meaning that there's a lot of just talk here. Um, I don't go all the way up the scale because as we'll talk about, I do think there are useful 
um, things around of you know what we used to call virtual reality, right? So presenting something that's not live, like a flight simulator, right? Uh, I grew up in a family of uh, aviation folks, and you know there's still value in not actually putting that new pilot in the plane right away. Um, and and simulating that outcome, which is in its sense, uh, you know, an, an application of the metaverse or a virtual world. It's just not, it's not life in a virtual world. It's a particular situation. So I do think as we normalize more around virtualness, does add value in certain circumstances where there's high risk or where an experience needs to be more immersive than two dimensional. That makes sense. Um, but right now we're sort of hyping up this broad virtualness where it's all encompassing. And that feels a little bit overhyped to me. Uh, you did not make this your most hyped, Brian. So I'm curious uh, how you would rate it differently on the hype scale and, and any reasons that you would give for that. Yeah. So uh, so I will admit that I have a bias and that I bought like a Oculus 2 headset uh, several months ago, like earlier in this year. Like a week later, they changed the name of it to the Meta headset. But um I think there is something of value to the technology that's going into the metaverse. Like you said, like the flight simulator type things, the, the more like the, like the training where you need to put people through situations that you don't want to risk somebody's life or risk, uh, you know, millions of dollars of equipment or where the, you know, training people that the cost of a mistake could be detrimental. Um, you know, those, those are great applications for these kind of things. I rank this, only a slight second behind uh, the the other topic that we were going to cover uh, of blockchain, just because um, I think that there may be a little something there. I just don't. I I wouldn't be betting the type of money that um, that certain executives are on the metaverse as far as it having like a high ROI for companies in the long run. I think it'll be kind of a novelty thing. Uh, I bought the headset a couple months ago because. Uh, you know, back in like 2009, 2010, I definitely remember telling people like Bitcoin is stupid. You should not buy this Bitcoin at like $90. Like, why would you buy Bitcoin? Like if it goes above a hundred, that's ridiculous. And then it was, it was at like 300 and 500 and a thousand. I was like, don't buy Bitcoin. Cause that's stupid. Um, and you know, probably when it got to like 60,000, I was like, you know, if I'd have bought a little bit of Bitcoin that probably wouldn't have been the worst thing in the world. I still think that's a hyped thing with the blockchain and, and all of that. But I bought into the metaverse to look at it and go, is there something there? What I think is like, if you actually get an Oculus headset and, or the meta headset now and look in it and, and I get advertisements on my Facebook feed all the time now because I'm an owner and it's registered through my Facebook feed. So I get all these ads for all the applications for, everything in the metaverse. And, and what I still find to be kind of annoying is that most of those apps are focused around like, I can see my pretend hands up in front of me and move around in a 3D world. Um, and I think like, you know, the developers are working through this thing that you, you put these things in your hands, you put this headset on and you kind of tune out the rest of the world. But, uh, but so much of it is just sort of focused on the novelty versus like the actual application and the story. I think, uh, you know, the ready, the, the ready player one vision was that there was this amazing universe of experiences that you could go do. Uh, I think right now there's kind of this running joke of like, depending which application of the metaverse you're, you know, you either don't have legs or, 
you know, it's all like just, you know, violence, gunplay, you know, reenact the matrix or a superhero thing, or, you know, there's just not this, there's not like a rich, compelling story to why I would want to like log into this over my real life every day. Right. Yeah. Um, you can, you can buy a virtual house in a virtual neighborhood next to a virtual house that a virtual Snoop owns. Right. Like, right. <laughs> like that's, that's fascinating, I guess, but not something that, you know, I'm willing to do more than a buck or two to do, um, you know, but just for the novelty effect, not that it's going to change my life or that I can really immerse myself and entertain myself at length with, right. you know, owning uh, something virtual. Yeah, after after you've bought that real estate in the metaverse, what do you do with it? And and it seems like from some of the things that are coming out that like not a lot of people are actually doing things with it. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. But I do think if we think about what could be there, right? Where are we seeing this show up in the world of of HR? You know, to my example before around this, you know, simulated experiences for for training purposes. You know, certainly there's an application there. It requires you know, a, I'm not sure we're going to use the, you know, the meta headset to, to teach someone Excel skills um, just so that they could feel like they're in the same room. I'm not sure that's the use case, but, you know, but where perception, where time, you know, where multi-stimulus activities are necessary, right? Like flying a plane yes. or even running certain kinds of machines where you need to hear the, <laughs> the sound of it, see what it's doing and feel the vibrate. I mean, I'm making that up, but you know, things where multi-sensory experiences are necessary, where, you know, it's just, it can be simulated through some sort of virtual experience that I could see where there's, there's value there. Um, and, th and those use cases are already being deployed in many circumstances, but are you seeing or hearing any other pitches around the metaverse for, for HR um, that you'd want to comment on? Yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've heard a number of things, but nothing that's like super HR specific. You know, I think there's a lot of, b2b type stuff that people are pitching i think you know um i did see in the news that the recent uh sort of collapse and bankruptcy of the uh, that ftx firm their their accounting firm was uh, had office in the metaverse so that doesn't bode well <laughs> um for for things like that i do think you know we will see more applications start to come out you know like i think of as like if i was going to make a silly example like snow crab fisher people that you know that's an incredibly dangerous job that you gotta like learn how to do it would be way cooler to learn how to be uh how to fish for snow crab uh, not on the bearing straits but to you know learn to dodge the cages and and those things for the for the people that like those kind of reality shows where uh you see the most you know the most deadly most dangerous jobs i think you know uh you know, people that work on power lines, those types of things. I would expect mm. that the metaverse would be really great for, or that the technology that they're really building. I don't, as again, I don't think that a training thing needs the quote metaverse and that ready player one vision of it, but uh, the technology that's being put into that would be fantastic for things where people could literally die learning to do their job. Um, so that, that yeah. would be my, uh, that would be my sort of like hope of where that technology goes. Yep. Agree. So you mentioned, uh, you know, the accounting firm for uh, a particular company uh, in the crypto space. So let's let's transition to our final topic around the blockchain. Um, this one's tough because, you know, the, the concept of the blockchain has been very linked to, you know, cryptocurrencies and things like that and the ups and downs of that industry. Um, 
you know, but crypto is just one application of the underlying sort of blockchain technology. So, so what is blockchain? Um, you know, it's it's not a simple concept to to explain, but really, you know, for those that aren't into the the science and the math behind it, it's just a way of keeping track of transactions in a way that um, can't be changed. Right? It's an unchangeable record, so that that creates you know a greater sense of security. It can be transparent. It, it has applications for privacy, just because the encryption of the system makes it so that the underlying ledger can't be changed. Um, you know, so that that's what has led to its usage for cryptocurrency and things like that because of the you know perceived security and, and transparency around it. Um, have you heard any different description that would make that sort of tangible or real? Uh, for our for our audience, yeah, I think uh, one of the best explanations that I was, I think, maybe able to understand was it's like a distributed ledger, right? So it's one of those things where it's not just like encryption and that somebody's holding sort of a key to things. It's that everybody's got a copy of this ledger encrypted everywhere. So it's kind of like, um, you know, mailing out the evidence of the transaction that happened to your 50 closest friends so that everybody's got a copy that, that this event happened. And then if, if one of them tears it up or tries to change it or whatever, you still have the other 49 to reconcile against. And then imagine that those, you know, 50 friends call each other every day and verify like, did Brian actually send $50 to Paul? Yes, Brian did send $50 to Paul. Like it's, you know, saved there. So it's, it's kind of like your public Venmo transactions, but with like rigor, if you will. Mm. Yeah, the distributed part of it is, is critical. I shouldn't have left that out for sure because yeah. that's what it really increases the trust in it is it's not just, yeah, I've encrypted it so nobody can change it. It's <laughs> everybody else is verifying that no one can change it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the LinkedIn poll, it was one third of responses saw this as the the space with the least impact, so the most hype, including you. Um, so I'll have you start. Where do you put it on the zero to 10 hype scale? So I would put it honestly at like a nine, which is really high because I don't give tens out easily, but I would put it as a nine. And I'm going to guess that your follow-up question is why uh, and defend this, Brian, because we like data. And I think um, the challenge with blockchain is that because you have these distributed ledgers and these transactions, that the amount of computing power that you need to really run this at scale. Uh, I mean, I saw some, I saw one person, and I, you know, this is one of those things where you, you sort of read articles or, you know, watch documentaries or, or catch things. But, you know, basically the concept was like the amount of computing power needed to, track each transaction as like a blockchain sort of community grows, grows sort of exponentially with that community. So anytime that you take a blockchain to scale, like if you wanted blockchain to record transactions and like the medicals, you know, it's been talked about as being like a secure place for the medical field or a secure place for financial systems. Um, you know, the, Basically, like we would be, you know, using most of the world's computing power to just constantly be validating those ledgers that get sent around to different places, um, you know, to the extent that you would need like tons and tons of supercomputers to be able to, to you know, um, 
just process the next, you know, marginal couple of, you know, transactions. So imagine if every time you swiped your credit card, if it was going through a blockchain that like, you know, the world warmed up a degree because everywhere around the world, computers all had to like register that, um, you know, that transactions, you know, send it back and forth to each other and, and sort of mm-hmm. keep things happening. Uh, you know, some of that could be, some of that could be hype of sort of anti-blockchain things, but like if, if, if the security is in having a distributed network, it just means that you're, you know, exponentially growing that need there. So I think there's, I think there's a social responsibility thing. And we certainly see that when you, when you see like Bitcoin mining farms and stuff, you know, people have like, you know, buy refrigerated trailers to put, uh, tons of very hot computers that are running, you know, you know, buy a $50,000 computer that's basically just a whole bunch of silicon chips that are running at maximum speed to try to do math calculations to find that next Bitcoin. Like that's what's happening in those cases. Um, you know, there, there's probably, I think the regulatory part for blockchain that'll run into is it'll be like an environmental impact and, a, and sort of a, you know, how it hits the power companies and things, the amount of electricity needed to to generate um, these networks is uh, is not inconsequential. So that's that's kind of my you know that, that's where I think the 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 problem as it gets to scale collapses on itself. Yeah, I, I could see that, and certainly in in its current um, current iteration, it it would seem like the resources required to, to really scale it exceed the value being created. You know, the only the counterpoint I would offer there, I guess, is it's it's sort of like you know, you when you buy a house, your your mortgage payment, assuming you you know have a fixed mortgage, it's sort of the most expensive it's going to be for you, right? When you buy it, because your income tends to increase and inflation happens and whatnot. Um, you know, is this the point where processing speeds and and processing powers are not going to decrease? Um, you know, so as you know, your phone now can crunch, <laughs> you know, more data than, you know, the computer that you and I learned to program on, you know, 20 some years ago. Um, you know, are we are we going to see that this becomes a more efficient technology as processing power improves? You know, presumably, you know, markets are relatively good at figuring out innovative solutions to to things. Do we solve a power problem? I know it's a bigger, you know, societal problem and challenge to address. But I wonder if, if it becomes more efficient in its delivery, is this a technology that offers advantages in some fashion over sort of traditional ways of keeping track of transactions that, that it does produce use case, assuming we can make those other, you know, resource challenges uh, decrease? Yeah, so I think there would be, it could be very interesting in some, um, in some applications. I think we have to make sure that it's actually solving a problem. I guess that's, you know, when people point Mm -hmm. it, I think like what the computing power argument is very strong. You know, there's, you know, what is it, you know, every 18 to 24 months, the, you know, the technology typically doubles itself. So yes, uh, computing power will rise, but like, I also wonder like in a lot of the applications, um, you know, we've certainly dealt with data security breaches and things, but like, certain things like financial systems that already do have handoffs and that have backends and protections. I think if you see more, more data security breaches or data breaches with actual consequences, the more demand mm-hmm. there will be for blockchain. I think that's what's, 
what's maybe missing from it. Not that they're not, yeah. not that I haven't been notified that like my data has been breached or stolen from, you know, 20 different companies this year, but none of those have actually cost me any money or. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. Are we still in the phase of it's a technology looking for a problem rather than a technology that is solving a known problem that is pervasive and, and expensive? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's why I think, I have it, you know, slightly lower on my hype meter. I might put it more like a seven. It's still high hype, um, but you know, maybe an eight. Um, but I did. I stumbled across a use case of the blockchain that does seem to solve a problem. Um, it's a small company, free uh, marketing for them called Transcripts, Crips with a Y, um, where they're using the blockchain essentially to reinvent how employer verification works. So if you think about the the problem. If somebody needs to make sure that you know I am indeed employed by somebody, um, they want to have evidence. They want proof. They want to hear it from the employer. Essentially, um, the in some circumstances, the worker doesn't want the employer to know that they need that verification. Right? Is it a the next employer, or is mm -hmm. it you know something in their personal life that they don't want that employer being you know reached out to? And, and the employer doesn't really want to get it all in, involved either, right? It's a hassle. I've, I've run the team that has to manage this process, and it's just a pain um, to sort of accurately verify things. Um, so this, this company that I stumbled across, you know, and I think they haven't licked it yet, but they're, the, the concept being, can you pre-verify certain things that, that verify an outcome, be it income, be it employment status, that now are stored on the chain, essentially, and then the employee has full control over who gets to see that verification. So there's no need for that next employer to call the current employer and say, "Hey, can you, you know, tell me that this person actually has a job?" You know, the the current employer has already verified. Yep, this person has a job, and now the the employee is in full control. So it it kind of speaks to a, a, a challenge of sort of the social dynamics. Um, you know, of verification, um, you know, the, I don't think worker privacy rights are going to decrease. So there's a mega trend around putting workers more in control of, of their digital lives and of their experience and of their credentials. So I could see a use case here where having it in the ledger, where it can then be exposed to the person that the worker wants to expose, it makes sense. So again, I think there's more work to be done on it, but maybe because I've seen one practical application where it feels like that does address an issue, you know, that makes me feel a little bit more bullish uh, about, about the possibilities here. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting uh, concept of it. I mean, there are companies that have done that as a third party, but you had to be on their, you know, payroll system or those types of things. I think about that. I feel like you sharing this, Paul, kind of shames me into, I probably have to do a shout out to my friend, Zach Brinkman, who gave this exact use case to me like six years ago and was like, we should start a blockchain company that does uh, employment verification. And I was like, that seems crazy. So um, somebody else has clearly done it, Zach. <laughs> uh, but uh, thanks. Thanks for helping me out with that uh, stuff we were working on. So I appreciate it. But uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, it is, that's, it's a interesting, I think there are things like that. Um, you know, one other application I've heard is, you know, the use for, um, you know, could it be used for like real estate to be able to divide like 
plots easier and things. So like if you own 10 acres of land, it's a very expensive uh, thing to have that, you know, sort of redrawn and replot in a lot of counties and locations. But could you like build a contracting system that would, uh, you know, you are, you're allowed to own a certain latitude and longitude sort of geofenced area. Uh, and then you're able to cut that up on the blockchain and, and sell that to other people as a way to track things. So that's another application that it could be interesting um, just mm-hmm. to think about those kind of things. Yeah. Those are the three that we put out uh, on a LinkedIn poll. I guess what, what should be on our hyper radar? What are things that, you know, you're getting the early signs that, oh, here's one that's going to be the next buzzword. Anything you're seeing or hearing that uh, should be on our hype radar for, for next year? I feel like there's something, but, uh, you know, now I wish that we had done some show prep for this so that I knew that this question was coming. Um, what, give me one second. So what's on your radar, Paul, since you asked the question first, I'm turning, (laughs) turning back on you. (laughs) That's, uh, you know, but that's the the host prerogative is to put you on the hot seat, right? All right. No, No, I, I actually, I mean, these, these were picked deliberately as I do think they're the ones that are the you know most common in the commercial essentially at this point where they're the the key issues sort of affecting the hype I mean I there are some that are less about technological hype but more about you know just employment reality hype yeah you know uh, you know we will do a, a, an episode in the near term around you know, what I think are becoming very buzzwordy very quick, which is hybrid work versus remote work versus virtual work versus asynchronous work. Um, you know, different terms to describe around different things that are similar but not identical. And and that confusion is creating sort of hype and confusion. Yeah. Um, you know, and as companies are recalling folks to the office, some are, some aren't. Um you know, I think there's there's buzz aspects of that. Um, you know, I didn't put it in this poll in part because it's different than a than a technology change. It's more of just a, a you know a point in time concept that that feels pretty buzzy. Uh, but we'll dedicate an entire time to talk about kind of what's making that buzzy and and what's really there. So that's the one I would probably add is if we look back in a year. We'll say, yeah, there's there's a lot of chat about that, and, and we can investigate at that point what became real and what was really just what was really just talk. Yeah, I think you know, along those lines, a lot of talk about just like is it the end of jobs and um, the gig economy and, and those types of things. Uh, not saying that those are entirely hyped issues, but those are issues that uh, that for years have come up as being different things, and I think. Uh, you know, as we, as we talk about this, as we go forward, how these things impact everybody versus a few people versus like certain targeted subsets, you know, one of the great things about focusing on data is what does data really mean and, and how does it apply? And, uh, I think making sure that we don't over extrapolate from the trends to say that if, you know, more workers are working remotely, that, that means all office buildings will be burned down and used for, you know, salvage materials in the future, uh, in some post-apocalyptic world where nobody has a job. Like, I think 
we tend to go from like, there's more workers working from home into these extremes. Um, but, it, but it's similar with a lot of these trends that have, you know, sort of popped up either in the pandemic or that were accelerated by the pandemic. So those are things to definitely watch out for. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a key takeaway to wrap up across the three that we talked about, as well as these, you know, what might be out there is in it, very rarely is there absolutely nothing real behind, uh, you know, a buzzword or a trend. Um, but very rarely is it all of what is promised, right? Like, we're not going to fully automate every person's job in HR because of AI. It, I just don't see that happening. Work will change. Um, but it's, it, it doesn't eliminate jobs. You know, we're not going to only live in the metaverse in our haptic suits. We're not going to never do anything without the blockchain, right? You know, paper currency is still going to play a role, you know, versus crypto. So it's, it, it's never all or nothing, right? And the same will be true with, with work settings and uh, job design, et cetera. So that's probably, maybe that's the one sort of summary nugget for the day is, you know, hype, Usually doesn't mean zero, usually doesn't mean 10. It's somewhere in between and it's all about figuring out, you know, where in the spectrum does it fall? Yeah, it's the famous consulting answer of it depends. Um, so it without all, saying it depends, without saying it, it, it depends. sounds so much better. <laughs> it sounds so much better when you just say it's somewhere between a one and a nine. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, excellent, excellent. Well, with that, uh, thank you, Brian, as always, for uh, for joining and for having a, a fun conversation about the buzz. It's always always fun to to nerd out a bit about the things affecting our world. Yeah, thanks, Paul. I enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Novo Insights, where we help people teams use data to make a bigger impact in their organizations. Uh, reach out if you want to learn more at NovoInsights.com or Novo Insights on LinkedIn. Until next time, thanks for listening. Let's be honest, you don't know why your candidates accept or decline your offers. Recruiter feedback is unstructured and probably a bit biased. So why not listen to your candidates in a way that generates real insight into their experience and decision-making? Novo Attract gathers better feedback from your candidates through the candidate cycle. It helps you better understand the candidate experience and most importantly, helps you know why talent accepts or declines your offers. The Novo Attract dashboard makes it easy to understand what matters, and our analysts make sure the data is used and put into action. Check us out at www.novoinsights.com slash novoattract.